Podcast. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, a very good afternoon to you and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. I'm the editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That's a monthly publication that features news, interviews, features, columnists, reviews and so much more. We've got a really special offer running on the magazine right now that means you can subscribe and get 12 issues of the UK's leading Christian magazine straight through your letterbox each and every month for less than £20. And if you take us up on that offer, we'll even put you into a prize draw where you can win up to £200 worth of new Christian books. So if you want to take out that subscription offer, this is your very, very last chance. I'm afraid the offer is coming to an end in a matter of days. So please head to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe and there you can get yourself a one-year subscription to Premier Christianity magazine. And one of the interviews that we've featured in the magazine this very month is with Jackie Pullinger and you are about to hear the full conversation that I had with Jackie up in the Highlands of Scotland at a Christian festival called Refuel. This happened back over uh, last summer and we are bringing it to air for the first time right here right now on the profile. I found Jackie to be a very straight talking missionary and I think you'll hear that in this interview. It's interesting, when we finished the interview, she said, uh, I'll send me, send me a copy of the magazine, but I won't read it. And I said, oh, don't worry, Jackie, I'm not offended. And she said, uh, oh, no, it's just that I don't like seeing myself in print or anything like that. And I got the I got the feeling, and I think you'll hear this during the interview, that she doesn't necessarily enjoy being interviewed. She doesn't often give interviews. It's very rare for her to sit down with journalists. I think she likes to be out there on the front line, on the mission field in Hong Kong. And, and that is really where she's spent her life. Her life's work is ministering among Hong Kong's poorest. She literally got on a boat with nothing but £10 to her name as a youngster and uh, really prayed and asked God, where should I get off on this boat that was going around the world? And as the boat pulled in to Hong Kong, she disembarked. And really, uh, the rest is history, as they say. Her book, Chasing the Dragon, was immensely popular when it was published. And one of my questions for Jackie was, why has she not published uh, really any books? She's published a couple of books, but why no more since then? And she had a really, really interesting answer to that question you'll hear, plus lots more. So, without any further ado, shall we have a listen in? This is my profile interview with the missionary, Jackie Pullinger. Uh, today's episode is special for very uh, for two different reasons. Firstly, we're actually recording it in the Scottish Highlands at the Filling Stations Festival. It's called Refuel. And secondly, my guest today, I'm delighted to say, has flown in all the way from Hong Kong. She's well known for her lengthy ministry there, serving the poor, forgotten and mistreated, drug addicts, prostitutes and gang leaders. Uh, she's the author of the best-selling book, Chasing the Dragon. Welcome to the show, Jackie Pullinger. Thank you. Now, you're speaking here in Scotland to Christians from across denominations, across uh, the UK, really, and you're talking about reaching out to others and you're talking about the Holy Spirit. Is there a particular message that's really on, on your heart for Christians at this event? Uh, my, my message is always the same. It's how to uh, get us sure enough of God's love so we can go out and share it with the lost. It's as simple as that. Mm. Do you think sometimes we complicate it? Uh, well, I don't know about you, 
that to me it looks quite simple. Uh, having tasted of his love, all I wanted to do was share it until I died. I know you've uh, spoken before about being wanting to be a missionary at the age of five or six, which is an incredibly young age to, to know that you, you want to do that. So what had God done in your life sort of up to that point? Well, I, know it's up to no, I didn't really know him. Uh, it was that I was pretty sure that whatever you did, it, you didn't get away with. He, he was watching. So I thought, well, I better be on his side. And uh, so when a missionary came to our Sunday school and said, could God want you on the mission field? I thought, well, the answer can't be no. I didn't, want a, didn't know what a mission field was. It looked like a rugby pitch to me. But, um, yeah, so I said, I'm going to be a missionary. That didn't go down very well with my friends. Um, and their, uh, my friends' parents expected me to to be better behaved because I was going to be a missionary. I thought that was very unfair, so I kept quiet about that um, until I really knew Jesus many years later. And tell me what happened then. What was the change? Because as I understand it, you know, this is the 1950s and 60s and the country, uh, you know, England at this time arguably was very different to how it is now in terms of a spiritual climate. And you'd have more of a openness to people calling themselves Christians or having some kind of faith. This was the kind of uh, climate of, of the time, whereas now it's arguably much more secular. So, so, so this was a kind of Christian family, was it? But you didn't really have a, a proper understanding of Christ no, until later? No, no, we weren't particularly. But, you know, we, we went to church at Easter hmm. and Christmas. Um, I went to boarding school and we went to church every Sunday. And uh, when I was a child, my parents sent me to an excellent Sunday school. So, uh, yes, we all uh, we all thought we were Christians because yes. we'd been born in England. Right, and, yeah. yeah. So, t- so tell me about what kind of changed. What was the moment where you felt like you had a real encounter with God? Well, I, I hadn't actually met people um, who looked as if they liked God um, until I was towards the end of... I, I was a music student in London till I was towards the end of uh, my time at the Royal College. And then I met some people who invited me to a coffee party and said they had Bible studies. And I went along to meet men, because they said there'd be some nice men there. And uh, it was the first time I actually heard. Um, Some of the talks were very similar to the Alpha talks. Very similar. It was really getting you to have another look at who Jesus really was. And I decided, um, well, I, I, either he was mad um, or, or mistaken or he really was who he said he was, the only way to the Father. So um, I, I said to him, well, I didn't like that much that you say you're the only way because I'd rather be broad, um, but I'll accept that. Um, and my right, my life really did change when I said thank you, thank you, thank you for making the way. Then I saw it; it really wasn't a narrow way at all. It was, it was a broad invitation. Mm. Um, yeah, but I listened uh, to to what was going on in those talks because the the people who asked me actually looked happy. I hadn't met anybody that that looked happy (laughs) knowing God before that. So that made the difference, I think. Isn't that interesting that that part of your testimony is is in meeting Christians who 
were living life to the full, as, as Jesus promised that that's the opportunity that was available to us. Well, they you hadn't they, seen that before. Well, I'd met I'd met Christians that backed me into a corner and asked if I was saved or washed with the blood or something. I had no idea what they were talking about, and I just wanted to disappear. But no, I like these people, mm. so I listened. Now, as the story goes, and it is a fa- fairly well-known one, really, because of the success of your book, Chasing the Dragon, you came to a point in your life where you decided to get on a boat that was going around the world with about £10 to your name, and you were going to pray and ask God where you should get off the boat and be a missionary. Um, I'd love just to take you back to that kind of a time, uh, an exciting faith-filled time, perhaps, or, or was there a sense of apprehension as well? Um, no excitement. But but then it still is. It was, um, mercifully, I didn't know too much about how other Christians operate. So um, I, I I had no preconceptions. So I didn't think I'd got to land somewhere and do something and produce a scorecard. I just thought this was an adventure and I, I was going to go wherever God took me. Um, and... Uh, share Jesus along the way and that's really the adventure I'm still on but because that was the way he'd prepared for me to go it was not hard you know it it actually was fun can you describe for those who struggle with this kind of language of God spoke to me or I heard God's sake can you describe in in words what that actually looked like or felt like when you get to Hong Kong and God spoke to you or you felt it was right to get off at Hong Kong. What, what does that actually mean, that idea that, that God... Well, I, I don't know how it is for other people. Um, this doesn't happen to me all the time. Mostly I, I go by what's in the Bible and that's what God said. So that's how God speaks to me, mostly. Um, but no, I was the first on the, on the deck for the uh, immigration queue when we were... The ship was drawing into Hong Kong. I was the first in line, and I just I looked at the um, the mountains uh, uh, on the island and and uh, on Hong Kong side in Kowloon, and I I just found myself saying, um, "Thank you, Lord, mm. that that you've given me a place with perspective." Mm. I I don't even know what I meant by that, um, but we passed through a lot of along the way which which had not that perspective so I, I, I just it was thank you Lord you've chosen a place with perspective so uh, so then I queued up to get off and this is 1966 when you arrive in the walled city in China can you describe your first impressions of walking into a, a place like that well it wasn't in technically in China in those days it was um, very near the old airport, which was in Kowloon. Uh, so it's like the city of London within London. This was the walled city within Kowloon City. And it was about five or six acres. Um, and when the British uh, first of all took uh, uh, Hong Kong and then Kowloon from the Chinese, they, there was a treaty and the walled city... Um, had its own Mandarin and said we refuse to come under whether it's the British or China that is running Hong Kong we refuse to come under their rule we have our own so they were excluded from the treaty then the then then the the uh, Mandarin died and um, that the 
British said, after all, we, we want this exclusion treaty removed um, to China. And China said, what treaty? Feeling she'd been tricked over Hong Kong anyway. So it was never removed. So for um, you know the next century, it was a place where you could not arrest people because uh, it, it had its own rule, except there was no rule because there was uh, no Mandarin. So uh, it was a place where you could hide if you'd committed a crime outside or commit a crime inside and not be arrested. So by the time I got there, all kinds of illegal buildings had gone up because they didn't need building permission inside. Um, the Many people were living there because it was cheaper. You could just... It was like card houses. You built one on top of another. So it was going upwards, um, like any slum, mm. except it went upwards. And there were there was no electricity and there were more rats than people and there were about 100,000 people. And um, illegal dentists, uh, opium dens, heroin dens, where they sold girls and blue film theatres, uh, 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 gambling dens, all illegal. And then there the were the triads, who were the um, secret societies, um, just like mafia, really, um, who live off crime and prostitution and protection and frightening people. Given all of that context, um, again, you know, some would some would kind of assume this would be incredibly scary, but I, I don't get that impression from you. I, the impression I get from you is this is where God has called me, this is an adventure. Um, well, the I think the second time I went in Wall City, a missionary took me in the first time she had a school there. It's very narrow streets, just only one person could walk. So the, the, the street is just a few feet wide. I just felt this incredible joy. And um, I and I thought, why am I feeling like this? You know, nobody's given me flowers or said I look beautiful. It's not my birthday. But it was that kind of feeling, you know. Ooh. <laughs> um, and then I found that actually whenever I was in there, that's how I felt. And so, you know, I loved it. Um, of course, I was going to find out about the little girls that had been sold, the old women that were guarding them, and the the young triads and the fights and the opium addicts and the the, the misery. Um, I but still, um, I really loved the place. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about um, some of the challenges you encountered. I mean, I imagine one of them must have been learning the language. How did that begin, and, and what was that like? Well, it was a good thing it didn't begin too quickly because um, I I just had time to to do a short evangelism course before I went before I got on the ship, um, and if I'd known Chinese, I would have said too much, um, and because I thought that preaching the gospel was in explaining how Jesus came to die for right, our sins. Yeah. And of course, that's not preaching the gospel at all. Um, why so, not? Some people would say, why not for that? Because that's not necessarily good news to anyone who doesn't know love, doesn't understand your language, doesn't follow your logic. So, uh, so uh, it was a good thing because I, I found out that the people there were not listening anyway. But they were watching. Mm. 
to see whether uh, how I acted really, whether I really did love them. And if I really did love them, maybe God really did love them. Do you kind of attribute some of the, the success that you saw to the fact that you stuck around? I know that there are stories of other missionaries sort of turning up for a few weeks and then disappearing again. And, and it seems like from quite an early stage, you really committed to being there for the long haul. Well, I liked them, you know, so I wanted to stay for them. I would. I, I also understood the Bible, which said, whatever you do in the name of the Lord Jesus is not in vain. So, well, none of this is wasted. It's all going to be, um, there's going to be a harvest. Um, and if I never see it, it doesn't matter because there will be a harvest. So I understood that. On the other hand, um, I was saying, um, Lord, it, it, if you don't break through quickly, these people, many of these people will have died before they live. So um, although I'm willing to wait and go on, well, uh, please will you be quick? Mm. I know one of the first things you did when you arrived was, was set up a youth club. Can you tell me a bit more about why you took that approach and what happened and what that turned into? Well, I began to... Um, I, I, I taught outside at two very good schools, and that, so I provided for my own living. Mm -hmm. And uh, I taught inside at the missionary school, um, inside the walled city, and began to notice that the young people had nothing to do with those... There was no music or art or recreation. There was no light in there. So uh, I thought that if the only choice is uh, a, a brothel or a gang or a drug den or staying in your house, um, let's give them a neutral choice. So it, it doesn't even have to be Christian. So let's have ping pong and darts and we'll go out on barbecues and do do something normal. And of course, <clears throat> I'm going to have uh, uh, Christian meetings as well. But um, mostly when I had them, they, you know, all the people went outside and whistled and waited till I'd finished the meeting with myself and then came back. Um, but they they were very happy to, to come to the youth club and we did sk skateboarding and mountain climbing and summer camps and swimming and you know just just ordinary things that kids should do mm. uh, you're there as a as a missionary so do you remember your first convert oh well yeah uh he he was uh he was somebody who was about to join the triads um and he he i i remember telling him the story about um Naaman the leper, how uh, he 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 just asked, went into the river, um, which was a foolish thing to do because it, he he said he'd got a better river, and said it's just like that if you come to know Jesus. And so uh, his name uh, was was Christopher, and he 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 that's how he met Jesus. But then after that. Um, uh, it was quite disappointing because he, he avoided me um, for quite a long time. 
and I trapped him some months later by a sewer. I mean, it was uh, trapping by a sewer means that in those little streets where the sewers take up most of the room, open, um, you know, if you if you trap somebody, they've got nowhere to go except the sewer. So um, I said to him, now, um, some months ago you, you came to know Jesus. Why have you been avoiding me ever since? And he said... Um, well, I, I I came to know Jesus, but you gave me a library. And, you know, I got all these follow-up books. Uh, you know, the, the Way, The Way Ahead, Now You're a Christian, How to Read St. John, Here's the Readings for a Month, all the things that, in my culture, uh, I thought you would follow up material. And it and it terrified him, because they... they um, they they very much venerate learning in Hong Kong and Chinese culture, and if you've failed at school, you know you can't be a Christian mm-hmm. uh, because you're. Uh, they it, they think being a Christian is all to do with studying and being good enough. Mm-hmm. And his worst fears were con- confirmed. I'd given him all these books, and he'd just come to know Jesus. So I thought, oh, whoops! I better. It, it's the wrong way around. Right, I bet yeah. they learn how Jesus would do it. Yeah, absolutely. So much of it is cultural, isn't it? You know, you think, well, me as a Western Christian, what you need to do next is do some reading. And as you say, that was completely off-putting for this person. I mean, some people have argued that, that as, as Christians in the West, sometimes we are just a bit too bookish. Is that something that you would agree with? Um, different ways of hearing good news. I mean, today we, we've got colloquial recordings of of uh, the Bible in people's own language, and you find completely illiterate people can listen to a a miracle or a parable, and recount the whole thing back to you quicker than you or I could, because oral people um, who can't read can remember, and when they listen to a story, they listen as if they're in the story, and then they say, "Well." You know, if if Jesus opened that man's eyes, Jesus can open mine, you know. So they actually come to faith. So I think the word of God's terribly important, but it depends um, how you access that. Mm. Um, nowadays, um, uh, I didn't know this then, but nowadays when people come to know Jesus, we pray with them for for the gift of tongues immediately. Mm. Uh, it's not it, it's not an optional extra. You say, by the way, he'll give you a new language to help you talk to him. So they do. And um, and several times um, this has happened, that within a few days they're prophesying, and one man prophesied half of Philippians 2, which he'd never read and couldn't read anyway. Um, four days after he came to know Christ and he was still on drugs so I I do think the word of God's important but how it comes how you remember it what we try to do lots of times now especially with old people is sing it Mm. because um, the old people that we meet um, have got terrible language uh, they, they've grown up only hearing bad things. It's a virtue in China to say you're ugly or stupid or, 
you know, or uh, uh, to tell kids, I'll, I'll beat you to death. You know, it, it's, this is awful culture way of speaking to kids. So when they come to Christ, they've only got bad language. They, they, they don't know how to speak nice. Mm. So we, 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 we thought, well, it better be, you know, you've got to put something in. Uh, it just doesn't, nice things just don't come out. Mm. Yeah. They've only heard foul language. So uh, so we try to s- sing the scriptures. Well, that brings us to the end of part one of my interview with the missionary Jackie Pullinger. I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. Hear lots more from Jackie Pullinger right after this very short break. We'll be right back. Everything that God creates is for the purpose of redeeming human beings. I'm telling you now, some of your prodigals, husbands, wives, children, brothers, sisters, are not so far from the kingdom as you think. What has been done on the cross not only reaches into the human heart, but also into nature. Everything within this world is screaming the name of Jesus, but he's also showing up in a face-to-face way. Learn how to give reasons for the hope you have. Unbelievable, the conference 2018 on DVD and digital download. Order now at premier.org.uk forward slash shop. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. I'm the editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That's a monthly publication. We also have podcasts like this and a huge amount of online content as well. But when I'm not overseeing Premier Christianity magazine, I have the great privilege of conducting some of these profile interviews. And today's guest is a really special one. Jackie Pullinger is best known, perhaps, for her book Chasing the Dragon, which details her incredible ministry. Uh, Although I shouldn't say the word ministry, you'll find out in a moment that she doesn't like that word. Nevertheless, uh, it documents her incredible life in Hong Kong, ministering among really some very broken and poor people and bringing God's love practically to those who so desperately need to hear it. But now, without any further ado, let's get into the second half of my interview with Jackie Pullinger. You mentioned speaking in tongues, and I know that's been a huge part of, of your ministry, and you went on quite a personal journey with that. But but just share the story again of of how speaking in tongues and people coming off the hardest of drugs with no withdrawal symptoms fits together because that is a mind-blowing story for a lot of people yeah um well just as uh, babies begin to speak um uh, uh, you know a few seconds after they're born they cry they 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 know just what they want to say they have things to express um when they're born they just haven't learned the language so I believe that God gives us a language to talk to him so we can express all the things we don't know how to express. And if you're a drug addict, um, you uh, and our people have no uh, language of feeling. They haven't grown up being asked, what do you feel? What do you think? What do you want? It's not in the, their vocabulary. So all the anxious, uh, fearful uh, uh, things inside them, when they speak in tongues, comes out. And that's why they can then go to sleep. 
It's just instead of keeping stuff in, it comes out. And as the as the Holy Spirit goes on filling them, the 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 frightening stuff comes out, and they don't even know what it is. Sometimes they do, but it isn't as if somebody's got to get in touch with their feelings, then express it, then deal with it. God's much kinder than that. There's a you know there's scary, awful stuff that's gone on in their lives. Mm. Uh, why would you have to say it out before you could get free from it? So they just speak in tongues, and the stuff that's been buried down there deep comes out, and then they go to sleep, and then they wake up and they can eat. We pray some more, and they go to sleep. So it's very kind of God. It is very kind of God. It's it's also not the quote unquote normal way that people come off substances. Yeah, it's not cold turkey either. You know, we're not expecting them to suffer. But we do have someone with them for uh, uh, 10 days, minute by minute. And I understand this isn't everybody's story, but but I also understand there have been instances of people who have who've come off heroin and they haven't had the shakes, they haven't had the the physical symptoms, yeah. and yeah. all you've done is pray for them, or they prayed in tongues. Yes, yes. And they've come off completely. Well, yes. That's just what I've been talking about. Everyone. Yeah. That, But that's just the beginning. That's... That's the physical getting off. That's just the beginning. Hmm. Then we've got the whole life. Hmm. And I, you know, and I guess that must be some of the joy in in your ministry and seeing people come through from from being saved, from being addicts to now. Well, what is what is the next? Have they started their own ministries? Have they gone on to travel and be missionaries? We themselves? don't talk about ministries, right? I don't have a ministry either. I just have a life. Okay. No, the the joy is not seeing them come through. The joy is knowing Jesus. Hmm. So uh, that the seeing them come through is just the the extra bit. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right in thinking that that tongues is such an important part of your ministry that when other people sorry I used the word ministry again important part of your life that when you invite other people perhaps from the UK to come over and to to help you in what you're doing. Um, that you want them to be speaking in tongues and that's almost a sort of prerequisite because no, it's so... No, it's not boring. a prerequisite. Um, the, 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 the prerequisite is, would you like to help pray somebody off drugs? Okay, can you manage four hours of praying non-stop? Tongues would be a really great help. <laughs> um, yes. Well, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the tongues that, that makes it special. It's just quite hard to keep going in your own language. So a lot of what we've been talking about is detailed in your book, Chasing the Dragon, which is a very, very popular uh, book. It's, it's one of those books that in this country, if, you, if you're an evangelical Christian, you've almost certainly read it. Um, so I guess the obvious question is, given this was published some decades ago now, why was there never a follow-up? Because presumably there's many more stories to share still. I did a, a brief update in 2000. It was published in 80, 1980. Um, no, I don't want to go on writing books. Uh, about about what God has has done through us, I want people to go on writing books about what God does through them. So, uh, uh, otherwise, it's vicarious, isn't it? People are going to get all the thrills through what has happened through me, instead of all the thrills through what God wants to do through them. I mean, some people would say that that your life is a um you know, very distinct calling 
very distinct anointing or gifting. They'd use language like that. Is that just an excuse for people not going off and doing it themselves? Uh, well, I no. It, uh, whatever God has created you for, you can do. So mine is, of course, it's distinct, but so is yours. So I, I, I just want people to do what God has made mm. them for, but they better do that. Mm. And you're concerned that if you were to write more and more books, that that, that wouldn't provoke other people to get out there and do their own thing? Well, actually, I'm, you know, I'm still working with lost people. I haven't got that much time to go off and write a book. The, the, the only reason I wrote two books was, was when other people decided to write them for me and I hated them, so I thought, oh, <laughs> goodness, I'd better do that myself. <laughs> the whole sort of book... Uh... The book writing thing, like you say, people can sort of turn this into a career and just churn book after book out there. And, and it seems to me it's been coming through in your in your preaching already at this event that, that you want us to get out there and, and do the stuff. Is, is this a sort of concern from you that you, you don't feel like the British church is, is sending out a, enough sort of missionaries in the same way that, that you've gone out and done this? No, I can't. I have no, no comment to make about the British church. Uh, except to see in the, say, in the last few years, I've seen more and more individuals going all over the place so mm. that the, the the tide has turned. No, my concern is that scripture has told us clearly that we are all to be going and that, that the reason the Lord has left us behind is to do the job that he told us to do. So we better get equipped to do it. And instead of living this life as if this life is it. Mm. This it's not this is very short life. And eternal life is forever. We're going to feel all stupid for eternity if we wasted this one. And is that that kind of motivation that, you know, that's that, that what drives you? Um, no, I'm not driven. You're I'm, not driven. I'm led. You're led. What's the difference? Addicts are driven. Uh, Satan drives. The Holy Spirit leads. Mm. So... Uh, I'm not even purpose-driven. Hopefully I'm <laughs> spirit-led. Sure. So when you set off by yourself to, to get on a boat and go to Hong Kong, how much of that was, as you say, you were being led by the Spirit? Be, um, and how much of that was other avenues had been closed to you? Because I know you've, talking, you've yeah, spoken before about sure. where you've tried to sort of join up and do the traditional thing. And, and the reason I ask this is, is sometimes there's an emphasis on sort of team ministry and you go with other people um, and sometimes it's kind of frowned upon if, if individuals sort of go off as lone rangers. And I'd just like to hear your perspective on that. Um, I think it's quite rare to be sent alone. But, uh, you know, although I'm a twin, uh, I was happy to go alone. I'm, I'm, I'm not a lonely person. Um, but, it, it, I mean, Jesus sent them out two by two. So it's more likely that he's, he, he's going to send people to... A, a, an existing little group or with someone mm. I would think so but uh, you know that was my guidance and I can't get it for anyone else mm. and nobody can say because Jackie did it that way so can I mm. God treats us all as mm. individuals and mm. different story for everyone uh, may I ask how you met your husband um, we prayed him off drugs he grew up. That's quite the opening gambit. No one's, ever, <laughs> no one's ever said that to me in the context of these interviews before. That's never been the first line. That's a wonderful start to the story. We prayed him off drugs. He, he grew up in the walled city with uh, five brothers and sisters and a mother. You could hardly feed them. 
very poor. Uh, first time he came to, as a drug addict, he came to the meetings in the walled city and met Jesus. He just so loved it, he couldn't wait to get back. Um, then he, he came to live in our houses, we prayed him off drugs. Then he got baptised in the sea and his mother got baptised with him and we got to know the whole family and so the years went on. Mm. It, it must have been uh, you know, nice for you to, to have a, a companion in your in your work which one would imagine could at times feel quite lonely no no not at all not really that much time I quite like being alone because uh, you know with people with especially needy people much of the time um, and for most of the time when we were praying people off drugs it was in my own home so I wasn't alone uh, so no, I didn't marry for companionship I just married him because I loved him, mm. and uh, you know it was better to marry him than sin. So, <laughs> yeah, I think you mentioned this morning you talk about um, about marriage and singleness and men and women, and you talk about the fool and how we do sometimes have kind of warped perceptions of of, of all of this stuff, even as as Christians um, about men and women. You, you were very open, I thought, very um, very honest and, and upfront um, about about that that sort of thing. Uh, which I think people really appreciate the kind of boldness and the bluntness, if I can put it that way. Is it a fair uh, observation that your style of preaching is quite blunt and to the point? I don't know because I don't listen to many preachers. You see, I, I, I that's it. You know, I missed that whole thing out. I came to know Jesus and I went off to Hong Kong. So. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't listened to many. <laughs> no, and I'm sure, you know, you wouldn't sort of set yourself up as I'm a preacher because you're a missionary and you just happen to be invited to places like this. But you accept the invitation, so you must feel like this is part of what God's calling you to. Um, what part, of, part of what I'm supposed to do is to uh, equip bits of the church um, to learn that some of the things I've learned that they haven't, I, that's it. So to 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 share that because uh, we know a bit about spiritual gifts and the poor and God's provision and and so it's good to share that. Mm. So the whole church gets to grow a bit. Mm. And I know you know your your life is uh, as you say you still live in Hong Kong. And I've been told obviously never to dare ask a woman her age. But let, let me put it this way that uh, no, I won't. Answer truthfully. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me put, let me put it this way. Um, I don't think uh, anyone would imagine that you're uh, looking at retirement plans. Well, I'm not employed, so uh, no. <laughs> but you <laughs> no know, you can fire me. You and know, I, you I haven't know, got a job anyway. So, but you know what uh, I mean. You know what I mean. Other other missionaries yes. uh, in your situation would no, say, you I, know, I've I, done I, that. I'm off to lie to on a beach for a bit. No, no, I wouldn't mind lying on a beach for a bit. But no, I've got no retirement plans, and I've got no succession plan. And uh, you talk about succession plan. It's St. Stephen's is, uh, you know, the, the work that you're, you're doing there. So do you think that will end when, when you pass away then? Uh, I've told them uh, because uh, most of the people in, in St. Stephen's came to faith with us. So I said, you can do what you like. Mm. Uh, just as long as it's what you feel passionate about and the Lord's told you to, you don't have to carry on my work. Mm. So if St. Stephen's goes on or not is irrelevant. Right. I think many Christian groups exist long after they ought to have stopped mm. anyway. Mm. You know, they, the group serves a purpose for a season. I don't know what you think of this comparison, but some people have compared you to Mother Teresa. 
I don't know what I think about that either. <laughs> well, one could perhaps see where they're coming from in that you've devoted your life to serving serving Jesus and serving the poor. Well, it, it, they just happened to have been the ones that responded. And, uh, well, you know, I think everyone's called to the poor. I really do. Even though some people say I'm called to the rich poor, you know, it. it I say you have to get involved with the poorest of the poor at the same time. Anyway, we just can't make excuses that it's businessmen or journalists or, you know, or rich poor, poor film stars, you know. Sure, that's valid, but also the poor. Mm. Because the poor need help. Mm. They need food. Mm. And I guess you have seen... Uh, extreme poverty in uh, the places that you've ministered that, that many people in this country you know myself included at this stage of my life couldn't comprehend is there a is there an emotional cost to what we've been talking about of walking with people and to a certain extent taking on their pain taking on their burden um, no you don't Jesus took on their pain so but your heart must go out to them sure, sure. is sure. there not an emotional cost to that I don't know what God gave us emotions for. I mean, Jesus was sure angry when people offended the temple. And uh, so I'm angry uh, uh, when people are not fed and they ought to be, where they're, when they're ill-treated and it ought not to be. But we're, suppo that's, we're supposed to be. But... If you're merely angry or merely sad, that eats you up. Hmm. Uh, but but compassion goes more than that. It, there's there's something you can do about it, and you do that with a broken heart. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, if you rely on your own, it 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 will suffer too much, and then your heart gets hard, or you try and guard it, or whatever. But if if your heart's been broken, it's fine. Because then you get his, and that lasts. Mm. Of course, the the walled city, which is where we've been talking uh, a lot about, is where um, was eventually knocked down, replaced with a park. Um, what were your feelings around that time? Were they mi mixed emotions? Oh, sure, because because that was where I'd, I'd spent half my life and and seen the Lord do sweet things, where a lot of people I loved lived. So I was nostalgic for all of that, but not for the, not for the death of the drug dens and the rats and, uh, and the the girls who were in the brothels. Of course not. Mm. So I was happy that many people got a nicer house. Mm. Do, um, do you? Because obviously, as I say, you're, you're based in Hong Kong. I think you were saying just before we came on air that you don't really keep up with what happens in this country. Is is that is that true that you're? Oh, well, I'm not a great media. I mean, I, 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 I watch TV uh, uh, and I've got still family in, in, in this country. So um, I, I, I'm aware of what's happening worldwide mm. um, with the poor, with, with, with slavery, with wars, with hunger, with mm. refugees, and I'm terribly concerned. Mm. But you probably wouldn't keep up with the ins and outs of the Brexit debate, for example. Oh, I do. You do? I Did do. you vote? Did you vote in the Brexit? No, I I lost my vote when I came. 
yeah, when I went. No, I didn't. Um, but a, a, every week we pray for world leaders um, and every country in the world uh, because we're told to pray for leaders. So we do. Mm. Uh, we are concerned mm. about the world mm. and this country, yes. What What are your kind of prayers specifically for this country at the moment? That this country would know the heart of God um, uh, through Jesus. Um, there have been times in, in England and Scotland where this has very much been so, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't, the inheritance doesn't just go on. It, it has to be reclaimed or stirred up. Mm. Well, Jackie, thank you very much for your time. Just final question uh, before we go. And, and it's, you might have covered this already, but I'd be interested to know, do you ever think about the word legacy and what that might mean for you of how you'd be remembered? Oh, I, I, I couldn't care less, do you know. I've made wonderful plans for my funeral, um, which, of course, I'm not going to be able to see. Uh, it's, you know, my friends are going to knock up a wooden box. All my rela- remains, if there is still any elasticity in them, are going for medical research... So we haven't got to bother about a grave, which is good. I've chosen the songs, which I'm quite interested in. The legacy, all I care of is I care about is that there are some people walking by foot from village to village, um, sharing their bread, praying for the sick, leaving one page of the Bible or a song, and walking on to the next village. It's a wonderful place to leave it. Jackie Pullinger, thank you very much for coming on the programme. Well, there you have it. That was my conversation with the missionary, Jackie Pullinger. I do hope you enjoyed that. I certainly was very challenged by much of what she said. Um, We, of course, wrote up that interview for the magazine. And if you want to get a copy of the latest issue, you can do. Just head to our website and you can type your details in and request a free trial version of the magazine that features that interview. It's been great as well to see many people reading it online. Literally tens of thousands of people have, have read that interview online as well. So I think it's done its job in uh, causing some serious food for thought amongst all of us. It's nearly time to wrap up the show, but before we go, I don't want you to miss out on our special offer that we're running. You can get a year subscription to the UK's leading Christian magazine for less than £20. This is really a great offer. It's a half-price subscription, and time is running out on it. Uh, You've only got a matter of days before this promotion comes to an end. So would you like a year's worth of content, both online and in print, for less than £20? It's the UK's leading Christian magazine. I am the editor, so I'm slightly biased, but I do highly recommend it. It's a great way of keeping up to date with all that God is doing in the UK church and beyond as well as reading interviews with more fascinating people just like Jackie Pullinger. So if you want to take advantage of that deal, that half-price subscription, you need to go to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. I've been Sam Hales, and it's been great to have you along for the ride this afternoon. Do hope you enjoyed that, and we will see you next time.